0: All right, I'm ready, to. We're in Genesis 1, verse 1. How many of you can quote this verse? How many of you know it by memory? All right, let's do it together. We'll give the reference, say the verse, and give the reference. All right, here we go. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1, 1. That's pretty good. Not too bad at all. Let's do it one more time. All right, y'all ready? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the And the earth, Genesis 1-1. How about a a second verse? Take a moment and find it. It'll be Psalm 14, verse 1. So take a moment and find that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, keep going, Samuels and Chronicles and Kings. And eventually you'll find Psalms and find the 14th one. And we're going to look at the first verse. It's connected to Genesis 1-1, as you'll see here in just a moment. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And Psalm 14, just the first part of verse 1, the Bible says these words. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That's Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, teenagers, I've got to tell you. Uh, this is uh, 25 years of my traveling and and preaching and full-time evangelism and i got to tell you i'm doing a scary thing tonight i'm preaching to you and i've always loved preaching to teenagers and i got to tell you the older i get and the more i'm around teenagers a day the more frightening it is for me to preach to teenagers not that i'm scared of you it's just that the more I'm around teenagers, the more aware I am of the issues that so many teenagers are dealing with in their hearts. And I, I sometimes feel at such a loss to know how to, how to help you with all the things that's going on in the average heart of so many teenagers a day. I, I know that for many of you in this room tonight, um, there's baggage that you're carrying that's going to, at the very, perhaps at the very least, it's going to frustrate at times your walk with the Lord and maybe hinder it in great ways. For some of you, that's your family. Some of you go to church and have gone to church all your life, but things aren't well at home. And the thing, I I do a lot of family conferences, and the thing I keep noticing in family conferences is that when things aren't well in the home, it makes a struggle in our relationship to God oftentimes. Some of you come from broken homes, many of you would. That wouldn't be surprising, because all of us know somebody who's from a broken home, and I know many of you are. And some of you, you still have mom and dad in your life. They're not divorced or anything like that, but they're busy. And sometimes I feel like the busyness of our generation can have as much negative ramifications as the brokenness of our generation. So it's a scary thing to preach to teenagers. And the other thing is we live in the internet age. The internet age, you know, we've been told all of our life, we live in the information age. And I have decided that's not true. I'm convinced that we live in the misinformation age. There's a lot of information available, a ton of it. Many of you uh, live by YouTube. Someone said to me the other day, if it weren't for YouTube, our kids wouldn't be getting any education at all in the average school. And so there's some truth to that. Most of you kids have been on YouTube since you've been out of school this summer. And if you know anything at all about YouTube, you know that um, there's a ton of views and opinions on YouTube. It's the misinformation age. Not everybody can be right. Who's right and who's wrong? When we come to a camp like this, Uh, We come to the Bible and we find out that here's what the Bible says about our God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But you go to YouTube and you're going to find hundreds, really thousands, of YouTube videos that will challenge that. And apparently it's nothing new. Because Psalm 14 verse 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. If, if you have an authorized version in your hand, you probably notice that the there is is in italics. And I'm not exactly sure why our, our translators put that on italics, because the word no has the idea of, uh, of there's nothing there. It's, it's not saying here, the fool has said in his heart, no, God, no, it's not saying that. It's saying that the fool has said in his heart, God doesn't exist. We don't need God. There's no God out there. God, God there's, there's a better explanation today. This is, a, this is a passage that I'm going to start with in our week together. And I want to talk to you tonight on the subject of five questions about God. I don't know what's going on in your heart tonight. I I really wrestled with the Lord all day about this, in fact, for several weeks now, because I feel like the Lord wants me to preach this, and it's not been my first choice. I, I, I had other sermons I wanted to preach tonight, but I'm convinced with every ounce of my being that the Lord is leading me to talk to you tonight. On the five questions about God. They're simple. I won't be long tonight, but let's think together. How many of you can think? Let me see your hand. How many of you can think? How many of you are awake? Are you awake? I know it's been a long day. You've had a busy day, but uh, wake up now, sit up straight, and let's talk together. The the five questions about God, and let's start with this one, all right? Is it reasonable to believe in God? Is that a fair question? Is it reasonable? How many of of you in the room tonight are public school young people? Let me see your hand. Raise a good night. I was too. So, And I, I, know, I know that you, in the school you attend, have a teacher undoubtedly that would say to you, it's not reasonable to believe in God. Come on, are you kidding me? You really believe that there's a God out there somewhere? And then there, in our generation, the new atheism asks questions to make it difficult to answer in the affirmative. They want to know things like, oh, oh yeah, your God, if He really exists, why is there so much evil in the world? Oh, yeah, your God, if He really exists... Then then why is there so much cancer? Why why does he let little children die? The questions never end. So this is a good one to start with. As we start our camp week together this summer, is it reasonable to believe in God? Let's just think a little bit. I'm going to throw some things on the screen and then show you a video, okay? Let's let's look at this. I, I, I put it up there to help me, even though some of you in the back probably won't be able to see it. Uh, here, here's the question. Is it reasonable to believe in God? One estimate of the chances of life coming from non-life. The estimate is the chance is one in ten to the forty thousandth power. The chances of, of, of life coming from non-life. There's no no life, and over millions and millions or billions and billions of years, life suddenly occurred. The chances of that happen, we are told is 1 in 10 to the fortieth, a 40,000th power. That's a whole lot of zeros. Wouldn't you hate to write that in a math test? That would take some doing. The number of atoms in our universe that we are told by science is 10 to the 80th power. 10 with 80, that's how many atoms there are, and yet the chances of non-life coming, life coming out of non-life is 1 in 10 to the 40,000th. Even if one argues that the estimate is too high. Given one-fourth that number, you would still get one in 10 to the 10,000th power, which is basically a scientific way or a mathematical way of saying, for- forgive my grammar tonight, it ain't possible. Uh, the John Polkinghorn, who was a professor of quantum theory at Cambridge, said this, if you examine the early relationship between expansion and contraction forces in the early picoseconds of the universe you will see that the exactitude was so precise that the margin of error and the precision required would be like taking aim at a one-square-inch object 20 billion light-years away on the other end of the universe and hitting it bullseye. In other words, what he's saying is, there's no way. I'm just simply asking, is it reasonable to believe in God? If you believe in life, and ladies and gentlemen, teenagers, it's reasonable to believe in God. Let me take a moment. I don't usually do this, but I some months ago saw this video, and I thought it would be good for you to see it tonight as we examine this question. It's the only video I'll show you this week. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a simple little video examining this question, and uh, you watch it with me. Will you, Here it goes.
1: from galaxies and stars, down to atoms and subatomic particles. The very structure of our universe is determined by these numbers. These are the fundamental constants and quantities of the universe. Scientists have come to the shocking realization that each of these numbers has been carefully dialed to an astonishingly precise value, a value that falls within an exceedingly narrow, life-permitting range. If any one of these numbers were altered, by even a hair's breadth. No physical interactive life of any kind could exist anywhere. There'd be no stars, no life, no planets, no chemistry. Consider gravity, for example. The force of gravity is determined by the gravitational constant. If this constant varied by just one in 10 to the 60th parts, none of us would exist. To understand how exceedingly narrow this life permitting range is, imagine a dial divided into 10 to the 60th increments. To get a handle on how many tiny points on the dial this is, compare it to the number of cells in your body, or the number of seconds that have ticked by since time began. If the gravitational constant had been out of tune by just one of these infinitesimally small increments. The universe would either have expanded and thinned out so rapidly that no stars could form and life couldn't exist, or it would have collapsed back on itself with the same result. No stars, no planets, and no life. Or consider the expansion rate of the universe. This is driven by the cosmological constant. A change in its value by a mere one part in 10 to the 120th parts would cause the universe to expand too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, the universe would again be life-prohibiting. Or another example of fine-tuning. If the mass and energy of the early universe were not evenly distributed to an incomprehensible precision of one part in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd, the universe would be hostile to life of any kind. The fact is, our universe permits physical, interactive life only because these, and many other numbers, have been independently and exquisitely balanced on a razor's edge. Wherever physicists look, they see examples of fine tuning. The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. If anyone claims not to be surprised by the special features that the universe has, he's hiding his head in the sand. These special features are surprising and unlikely. What is the best explanation for this astounding phenomenon? There are three live options. The fine-tuning of the universe is due to either physical necessity, chance, or design. Which of these options is the most plausible? According to this alternative, The universe must be life-permitting. The precise values of these constants and quantities could not be otherwise. But is this plausible? Is a life-prohibiting universe impossible? Far from it. It's not only possible, it's far more likely than a life-permitting universe. The constants and quantities are not determined by the laws of nature. There's no reason or evidence suggests that fine-tuning is necessary. How about chance? Did we just get really, 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 really lucky? No. The probabilities involved are so ridiculously remote as to put the fine-tuning well beyond the reach of chance. So in an effort to keep this option alive, some have gone beyond empirical science and opted for a more speculative approach known as the multiverse. They imagine a universe generator that cranks out such a vast number of universes that, odds are, life-permitting universes will eventually pop out. However, there's no scientific evidence for the existence of this multiverse. It cannot be detected, observed, measured, or proved. And the universe generator itself would require an enormous amount of fine-tuning. Furthermore, small patches of order are far more probable than big ones. So the most probable, observable universe would be a small one inhabited by a single, simple observer. But what we actually observe is the very thing that we should least expect, a vast, spectacularly complex, highly ordered universe inhabited by billions of other observers. So even if the multiverse existed, which is a moot point, it wouldn't do anything to explain the fine tuning. Given the implausibility of physical necessity or chance. The best explanation for why the universe is fine-tuned for life may very well be, it was designed that way. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect monkeyed with physics and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. There is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge.
0: simple, isn't it? It's a very, very reasonable answer to the question so many of you are being asked in our day. I mean, is it even reasonable to believe in God? And the questions that we're asked when you examine them in the light of evidence makes it very reasonable to believe that what I read, the United, is true. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Teenagers, you don't have to apologize because you are a Christian and you believe in creation or you believe in God. It's reasonable. There's a God in heaven that cares about you. I'm going to come to that in a moment. Is it reasonable to believe in God? Here's the second question tonight. Is it reasonable not to believe in God? Is it reasonable to say, I don't think I do. I don't think I believe in God. Here's just a few things to show you. Rick Oliver, who was a PhD in biology, University of California, said, I remember how frustrated I became when as a young atheist, I examined specimens under the microscope. I would often walk away and try to convince myself that I was not seeing examples of extraordinary design, but merely the product of some random, unexplained mutation. A lot of you teenagers will go on the YouTube, you're looking at this stuff, and you think, oh my goodness, maybe God doesn't exist. But when you stop and evaluate in light of the evidence, there's no reason not to believe in God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Truly the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, Anthony Flew was a world-leading atheist philosopher. Uh, He he was a very strong advocate of atheism. He argued uh, against uh, the evidence of God. Uh, He criticized the idea of life after death, their free will defense to the problem of evil. Uh, He he signed the Humanist Manifesto, which is a document that is anti-Christian, anti-everything you and I would believe. And uh, yet, uh, the more he studied and the more he examined, in 2004, he stated an allegiance to deism. He stated that in keeping his lifelong commitment to go where the evidence leads, he now believed in the existence of a God. This uh, This is something he said, it now seems to me that the findings of more than 50 years of DNA research have provided materials for a new and enormously powerful argument to design. I want to say to you tonight, young people, you are not an accident. You are not a random chance accident at all. You are loved by an almighty God who made this world. Uh, Anthony, Anthony Flew says, I now believe there is a God. I now think that the evidence, I think it, the evidence, does point to a creative intelligence almost entirely because of the DNA investigations. What I think the material has done is that it is shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together. And look at the last line there. We have all the evidence we need in our immediate experience and that only a deliberate refusal to look is responsible for atheism of any variety. Two questions so far. Is it reasonable to believe in God? What's the answer? Yes. Is it reasonable not to believe in God? No. God created the world. Here's a, um, a simple question. If there were no God, what difference would it make? And this is a question you ought to consider tonight. If there were no God, what difference would it make? And I, I, I've got two screens to show you. If there's no God, then according to the evolutionary theories, teenagers, you're just an accident. And actually, you have no purpose, you have no value, and there's no rights or wrongs because any sense of morality is traced to a belief in deity. If you're just a random collection of molecules that just happen to be, nobody can say what's right and what's wrong. And our generation is living that. Our generation is a generation that says, well, if, if, if I don't like you and I want to take your life, how dare you tell me I'm wrong? It's because of a wrong view of our God. If there is no God, you have no meaningful explanations for disease. Why is there cancer? Well, if you're an evolutionist, you would have to say, well, you're just the the accident that happened in your life, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're going to die, and we're sorry for you, but you have no meaning anyway, and when you're gone, you're gone. It's no way to live life. You have no explanation for emotional pain. If there is no God, how do you explain the pain that some of you teenagers felt when your mom and dad divorced? If there's no God, where did the pain come from? It's not something you can measure in a chemistry vial, it's, it's a part of our existence. We know pain, we know to hurt, we know when we're down or we're discouraged or we're depressed. If there is no God, you have no explanation for death, none. If there's no God, love is not real, because love's just a feeling, it's not something you can measure, it's not physical. I, I, I ask you, does it matter if there's no God? And it does. Here's my fourth question tonight: If there is a God, does it matter to me? And I wanna, I wanna suggest to you, it does matter because if there is a God, your life has meaning. Do you realize that? You're not an accident. You were designed by an Almighty God who cares about you, who loves you, who's interested in you. You have purpose. You have value. Love is real, and there is a right and wrong. I, I, uh, I was really really thankful tonight I, I love coming to the wilds there's so many reasons I love the wilds I do love the music I do love the mountains I I, I love the coffee shop how many, how many of you agree with me on that I love the coffee shop and I know you love the games and and there's all kinds of things to love but one of the things I love and this is gonna sound weird to you I, I really I really appreciate the rules for one thing they're not harsh they're not angry they're not mean about them but I, I thought it was I thought it was notable and impressive that the Wiles would say to you today, uh, let's honor God in the way we dress. And, and, and they, they ask you to, con- to make sure that you wore things a certain length. And, and, and Brother Matt said two things. You remember that? He said, girls, it could be a modesty issue and we want to honor God. We want to honor God in the modesty issues. But then he also said, if it's a guy, it's a, it's a gross issue. And there is some truth that, especially if you're another guy, can I get an amen right there? All right, so, so you'd see that, right? But, but think about it. How, how do we how do we know there's right and wrong? Because we, we do have a conscience that was given to us by God. Teachers, your life has meaning. You're not an accident. Things may be tough back at home, but your life has meaning. You're important to God. He cares about you. You're valuable. You have a purpose, and you may not know what that purpose is right now, but you have a purpose in life. There there are lives that God wants you to touch. There are are events in your future that nobody else can accomplish, only you. You are that important in the mind and design of Almighty God for this universe, and love is real. Do you feel love tonight? Love is an amazing thing, isn't it? Someone told me years ago when I was preaching at a camp, some girl gave me this... uh, this bookmarker, and it said on the bookmarker, love is a feeling you feel when you feel like you're going to have a feeling you've never felt before. And I uh, had to read that one several times and I still have no idea what it means. But I will tell you this, I love love. I, uh, I, I, do, I, just, I, I think it's great to be loved. My wife, my wife and I are in love. We really are. I tell her a lot. I say, honey, I, I love you. I uh I like it when she's angry at me because she has blue eyes, and when she's angry at me, her eyes are a deeper blue, and uh, they just, they mesmerize me, and I'm like, honey, I just love your eyes when you're angry at me, which for some reason makes her more angry. We need to pray about that, but, but I, I, I'm in love with her. That's my, that's my bride. Love is a wonderful thing. There's no explanation for love if there's no God, but there is a God. He designed you to know love and experience love and give love. That's who God designs you to be. Love is a wonderful thing. I, I am in love with my wife, and I love it. I, uh, sometimes I say to my wife, I say, baby doll, I could dive in those eyeballs of yours and swim for eternity. I have no idea what that means. That's a good line. You should write that down someday and use it. Well, unless your wife has brown eyes, I wouldn't use it then because uh, that would be a little awkward probably. Love's amazing, isn't it? I, uh, yesterday yesterday was Father's Day. How many of you celebrated Father's Day? Anybody here give a gift on Father's Day? Uh, I, I celebrated Father's Day yesterday. My, uh, my sons, my sons are trying to help me be cool. So they bought me some cool new shirts and a cool new pair of shorts, and, and uh, they, uh, they like my cool new blue shoes, and they bought me cool new socks, and... Uh, I, I, I love feeling loved. This is part of your design by God. He, love is real. That's, a, that's an evidence that, that it matters whether or not we believe in God. Love is real. Love is not a figment of our imagination. It's real. And you may, maybe you come from a family and really in your heart tonight, you're at camp and you're struggling. Maybe you don't know if your dad loves you or not. You don't know, I don't know if my dad loves me or not. Somebody here is thinking. That, I don't know. Maybe you don't even know your dad. My grandfather is 93 years old. And 73 years ago, walked out of my mom's life and never came back. Just never saw him again. He left. He disappeared. Never came back. I found him because of the internet and some family. I never knew him until a few years ago. I found him. He lived in California. got to know him, reintroduced him to my mom. I know from my mom's experience that it's a serious thing when you're not sure your family loves you. It's been hard on my mom all her life. Her dad's, now he's back in the picture and he's got money. I had no idea I had wealthy relatives. On my mom's birthday after I got them reacquainted, he sent her a birthday card and a check for $25,000. I wrote him a letter and said, Grandpa, my birthday's February 12th, You you know. Just in case, you know what I mean? For crying out loud, I I really didn't because I didn't want him to think I was after his money. I wanted to know Jesus. That's why I looked him up. He just turned 93, but five months ago, he did come to know Jesus. He did. A friend of mine picked him up and took him to see my kids who go to college in California. He walked into the church on their campus and he said to my friend, This is the first time I've been in a church building since 1946. And he said, You know, my grandson David's been talking to me about getting saved. And a lot of people have talked to me about this saved thing. And my grandpa said, You know, I've been lying awake at night. I can't sleep because I keep thinking about getting saved. And he said, When I go to sleep, I don't know what to do with this one, just to say what he said. When I do go to sleep, I dream that God is talking to me about getting saved. And he said to my friend in California, I think that's what I need. He's been a bitter and angry, frustrated man his entire life. But here in the closing months of his life, he's been in church every Sunday. The bitterness is gone. There's a new gentleness and kindness that I've never seen in Him. Love is real. There is a God. It does matter. Your life has meaning. You you have purpose. You have value. You're not a random collection of molecules. Not at all. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazingly and wonderfully made awesomely and wonderfully made God designed you 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 know I know so you know I don't like my hair I don't like my I don't like the color of my skin I don't. there's all kinds of things you may not like about you but you're no accident God designed you, and He cares about you. If there is a God, your life has meaning, you have purpose, you have value, love is real, there is a right and there is a wrong, and think about this, you're a special creation. You have moral reasoning, you have a desire for love, you have self-awareness and self-willed creativity. You're a special person designed by Almighty God. Don't let that sound weird, it's true. You're a special person. He loves you and He cares about you. And the very moment you were conceived, He knew all about you. He designed you and all the, all the parts of your life. God has a plan in those and is able to use your life and bless your life and, and, and do great things through your life. You've got to believe that tonight. That picture right there was taken in Africa. Uh, the uh, young man standing there, the white guy in the picture, his uh, grandmother showed that picture to one of her friends and said, uh, my grandson's the one there in the black shirt, and my friend said, I kind of figured that was your grandson, and uh, uh, he, uh, he was preaching in the jungles of Africa. I, I don't know those dear African people in that little village with no electricity and no running water, but there's a God in heaven who does, and He cares because He designed them. He made them. They are part of His creation. You're that important. The whole world is. Watch this, watch this. Does God care about me? That's the question number five I want to ask tonight. Does God care about me? Several answers to that, and here they are. Did you know that the cross says He does? Does God care about me? Your Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You may wonder, I don't know about this God thing, but I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that his son Jesus came into this world and died on a cross for your sins. He did. He did that for you. You are loved by God. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The message of the gospel is that you're loved by God. He cares about you. He knows all about you. So you can fool me, can't you? You can fool your teachers. You can fool your friends. You can fool your counselor. I know you can fool your parents. I know you can fool your siblings. But none of us can fool God. He knows all about us. He designed us. He knows everything. He knows what you do. He knows what you do not do. He knows why you do what you do. He knows why you do not do what you do not do. He knows what you would do if you could get by with it. He knows what you would not do if you did not have to. He knows it all, and yet He loves you enough that His Son came into this world and died for your sins. The cross says, the cross says very definitely that God cares about you. Do you know the resurrection does as well? Here's our problem, it's sin. We're separated from God because of our sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you realize, teenagers, we're not good people who sometimes do bad things. Theology says we are, we are bad people who, who sometimes do good things because we're sinners. And yet we're loved by God because He made us. The resurrection says that God loves you. Look at the last words in John three sixteen: Everlasting life. Romans 6, 23, eternal life. My my father-in-law has been a second dad to me ever since I met his daughter. You know that thing, guys, that if you someday are going to get married, most guys have to go to their future father-in-law and say, Dad, can I marry your daughter? And some dads are a little on the redneck side about it, you know, they... They're cleaning their guns while dad is doing that or, or something like that. But my father-in-law was never that way. In fact, I never asked him if I could marry his daughter. Never did. He came to me and he said, Son, Bethlehem's mom and I have been praying for her a husband for 22 years. And uh, when, you know, your future father-in-law says something like that, it's a little nerve-wracking, you know. Where's this going? Am I about to meet Jesus? You know? <laughs> And uh, so my dad-in-law, he said, uh, we've been praying about it for 22 years and we think you're the one. And then he's a pastor, he was a pastor, and he said, uh, "Uh, we uh, think you're the one. He said, I need to get it on the calendar because the Christian school schedule is really full and busy, so when do you think you're going to marry her? And I was like, "Uh, dude, this is cool. And so I was like so you're giving me permission and, and and yeah he was and I was like this is good I want to be that kind of I want to be that kind of father-in-law someday I want to I want to be the guy that's like you're the man marry her praise god that's what I want to be like So that's that's my goal in life My dad-in-law treated me so kindly He passed away this year It was the uh, first time my wife and I've lost a parent to death My my parents are still alive Bethany's mom is still alive but her dad died this year and he was my second dad he really was he called me all the time at least once or twice a week and because I'm an evangelist he would say Dave David's son I've been praying for you pray for you every day son and then he would prophesy he'd say David God is going to use you and he'd pray these big things for me and then he would always say before he hung up the phone he would say now son I give you permission to soundly kiss my daughter And uh, I loved him. He was a good father-in-law, don't you think? But he's in heaven now. What would it be like to think that there's, there's no God? One of my favorite people in the world is gone now. And yet, young people, if the resurrection is true, and it is, eternal life's available. My father in law is as much alive now in eternity as he ever was here on earth. That's how important this truth is. You're that important to God. You're eternal. And God doesn't want you just to live forever, He wants you to have eternal life. The cross says you're important to God, the resurrection says that God cares about you. His desire to take your life and use it says that He cares about you. The Bible says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. G-A-P, it's the gap. Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Do you, do, you, do you realize that God has a plan for your life that is good, acceptable, and perfect? Some of you, it involves marriage. Some of you someday will have a wife and a husband and a family. And I hope you love every minute of it. I hope you guys love your wife all the days of your life and flirt with her. I hope you embarrass your children you flirt with her so badly. I hope your kids are around you and they're like, oh no, my parents. I hope you're that kind of parent. I hope you love being married. Some of you will never get married, and God's called you to be single, and that's a wonderful thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's somebody in this room, and God may want you to be single so that you can use your whole life to impact others and serve Him around the world. There's nothing wrong with that. You're that important to God. His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. I'm 48. I I hate saying that. I just told you I'm 48, and some of you are like, dude, and He's standing. Because I know you're thinking, wow, that is really old. And I know to you it is, but I'm not that old. I can probably outrun half of you. Probably. I do jog. Bodies like this don't come cheap. <laughs> you don't get a body like this sitting behind a desk. You got to get up and run, all right? And uh, So I do work at it. So I'm, 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 I'm 48, but I'm trying to be healthy. You know, I'm 48, and I got saved when I was 16 years old. I was in a public high school. I was actually 15. I was in a public high school. I was addicted to heavy metal music, and I was going the wrong direction, and God put a man in my life to tell me There's a God in the universe, and He loves you, and He cares about you, and He died for your sins, and He was buried, and He was raised from the dead, and He has a plan for your life. And I was 15 years old, and I turned to Jesus Christ. I trusted Him. I was born again. I was saved. I had eternal life, and it's changed my life. And I will tell you, His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. I'm not wealthy. No way, no way. I I, I drive old cars. I I got a van that has 350,000 miles on it. It's a 15-passenger Ford van. My kids do not ask to drive that van. Nothing cool about it, but brother, it runs. I don't have a lot of money, but I may be the wealthiest man you've ever met. Take a good look. Steve Jobs is nothing on Dave Young. He can have his big house. I'll take my little house in Florida. I'll take it in a heartbeat. I'll take my wife in a heartbeat over his big house because I am madly in love and she's madly in love and we got a good thing going. Y'all think I'm weird, don't you? Stop it. It's true. See, See, here's what you're thinking. Oh, my word, this God stuff. I'd give my life to Jesus this week, but... And you got the idea that if I did, my life would be miserable. You can't do nothing. I couldn't wear that and couldn't go there and couldn't see that and couldn't say that. And oh, my word, oh, my word, oh, my word, stop it. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. God's will is perfect. I'm I'm not addicted to anything tonight except my wife. There's no RU in the world that can fix that. I'm just in love. I'm not addicted to alcohol. I'm not addicted to tobacco. I'm not on drugs. I'm, I'm having the time of my life. I've got five great kids. I'm just blessed. I get to preach at the wilds, and you have to listen. This is just great. I just love it. I get to serve the Lord. God's so good. I have peace. I have peace tonight. I have peace. I have joy. I have victory. God's will is good. How do I know? Does God care about me? His desire to take your life and use it says, yes, He does. The cross says so. The resurrection says so. His desire to take your life and use it says so. His desire to walk with you and live in you says that He does. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you get the idea in the Bible that God cares about you? You should, because he does. I want to I I tell you, the Bible says very simply, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. He cares so much about you that he offers every one of you eternal life everlasting life, abundant life. I want you to walk out of this service tonight knowing five things, and I'm done. God is real. I want you to walk out of here believing it. God is real. I just whetted your appetite a little bit with the video I showed you and some of the answers I showed you. It's reasonable to believe in God. It's not reasonable at all not to believe in God if there is no God then life is really messed up but if there is a God life is amazing and wonderful and you're valuable and you're important and love is real and he cares about every hurt you have he knows everything going on in your life and he's on your side he's real he does care about us his desire is to be our God and our Savior he desires to walk with us through our life don't run from God teenagers run to him he knows what's going on and he cares He wants to walk with you through the pains of your life. He wants to walk with you through the hurts and the tragedies and the sorrows. And if you've not faced them, you will. It doesn't mean, if I go to God, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect in my life. It's not. You will have valleys, you will have troubles, you may go through dark times, you may get disease and struggle and suffer with great pain, but I'm telling you, there's a God who cares so much about you in this sin-cursed, messed up world, He's willing to walk with you through your life and meet your needs and be there for you and help you and give you strength and, and, and work in your life. He desires to use us and bless us. He wants to give you favor. You're important to God. And I want you to walk out of it tonight believing that God is real. He cares about me. He desires to be my God and my Savior. He desires to walk with me through life, and He desires to use me and bless my life. That's the God I'm going to preach to you about this week. That's the God that cares about you. That's the God that wants to work in your life this week. Listen to His voice. Respond to the preaching. Respond to the truth your counselors will share with you. Respond to all the seminars that you attend. Let God do a work in your life this week because your God is a good God and He cares and He's on your side. And I want you to walk out of here tonight and believe it with all of your heart. In the beginning, God created the heaven, and the earth.